Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. California ranks 43rd in the nation in terms of the number of people vaccinated. To help turn the tide on Wednesday, Governor Gavin Newsom announced that seniors 65 years old and up would be added to the first vaccination group. We'll talk about efforts to ramp up the speed and scope of immunizations and get the latest on the pandemic in the Bay Area. And that's next, right after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. Faced with one of the slowest vaccination rollouts in the nation, California Governor Gavin Newsom announced on Wednesday that COVID-19 vaccines would be available to seniors 65 years and older. While many welcome the news of an expanded eligibility group, local governments and health officials struggled to keep up with the demand. And across the state, Californians are asking why it's so hard to get information about how to get vaccinated. Will the next few months of the pandemic be as bumpy as the first few weeks of 2021 have been? And when can people expect to be vaccinated? Joining us is Aaron Alday, health reporter with the San Francisco Chronicle. Welcome back to Forum. Al, Aaron, good to have you. Thanks for having me back. Thank you for being here. I also want to welcome back Dr. George Rutherford, who's professor of epidemiology and biostatistics and director of the Prevention and Public Health Group at UCSF Medical School. Welcome back, Dr. Rutherford. Thanks very much. Thank you both. Glad to have both of you with us. And uh, Aaron, I'm going to begin with you. Uh, you've been doing extraordinary work, really, in covering this. And we're still well, one of the slowest in the nation. As I said, I think we're ranking 43rd here. Wednesday, as I said, the governor has announced availability to 65 and older, but they're not getting it. There's a great deal of anger and frustration, particularly about now also not getting information. And I should also mention that Latinx and uh, black communities need the vaccine desperately, essential workers and so forth. Why, let me, let me just go right to the heart of this with you. Why is it so difficult not only to get information, but to get the vaccine? They had since really March to plan all this. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, you know, the question on everybody's mind right now. And it's, it's of course, it's a really, really complicated situation is kind of the, the, the simple way of putting it. Um, you know, I think what it, what it comes down to really is California is a huge state. Um, it's basically its own country that's trying to launch this vaccination campaign. 
Um, it's very diverse, not just in terms of the population, but just in terms of the, the structure, kind of how the politics and the cultural and, and, and how we deliver healthcare and all that just kind of plays out. Um, and, you know, yes, there was, we've, we've had since March to think about this, but, um, you know, I don't, I, I think that the, the public health departments and, and the political leaders have kind of had their hands full since then um, with, you know, handling um, a pandemic. Um, not to say that, that, you know, there wasn't, there weren't some mistakes. I mean, it seems like, you know, I'm, I'm with everyone else. It sort of is baffling to me that there, there wasn't more preparation done. We all heard about these vaccines coming well in advance. So at the very least, you know, there, there, there should have been some more steps taken, but it is a very complex picture. Um, and I do, you know, it's things like the fact that the state has now opened it up to 65 and older, um, you know, people within 24 hours were furious that they couldn't get information on where to get their vaccine and, and that there were long lines and they couldn't get through to their providers. And I kind of want to just, you know, say it, it's, you know, I think it's going to take each of these phases, you know, a little bit of time to, to work itself out. Right. So you you it might be like a few days or, or even a couple of weeks before we get some of these these big providers who, who just I mean, they're not any more well informed than really any of the rest of us, which is a big part of the problem, too. This issue of communication and transparency. So, you know, when a when a county hears on, you know, Tuesday night, maybe, a, you know, an hour ahead of the rest of us that they're going to be able to offer it to people 65 and up. They don't have a lot of time to figure out how they're going to reach those people. So I think, you know, some of this is just people are really they're scared. They're frustrated. We've been in this situation for so long and we just want to find our way out of it. And they're really, really eager to. It's great. They're really eager to get vaccinated, but they're really excited to do that. And they want they want answers and they want it fast and that's understandable, but I do think we need to be, we're going to have to exercise a little bit of patience here um, is, is some of the takeaway I've gotten. Unfortunately, some of the patience is wearing thin, but you mentioned the yes. size of California. There's also other problems with funding. There's problems with the supply of vaccine, with communication. More people uh, need to be actually trained on how to vaccinate, but the same institutions that are trying to manage testing uh, and contact tracing and supports for people are the ones that are managing vaccine distribution. Uh, I'm just wondering what you think about maybe, well, having the vaccine doses, uh, handing it over to healthcare providers. Uh, it, it would seem like that would be at least a reasonable way to go, wouldn't it? Well, I mean, the healthcare providers are the same ones that are dealing with the surge in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that that to, so I mean that you're you're right that what we what we need really and what what's talked about is sort of building up this army of vaccinators. Um, but you know, like you pointed out, we've already built up an army of testers, an army of contact tracers. You know, where do you pull the next army from? And I think that that's that's what they're working out now, and that's where some of the very legitimate criticism comes. That why wasn't the state training up these vaccinators? You know two or three months ago, other other states did that. Other states prepared for, for this giant immunization campaign. And that was one thing they thought about is, well, we're gonna need people to give the shots. We're gonna need space to give people the shots, like physical locations. And they were sort of putting those plans into action a few months ago, um, and we were not. Well, we're also uh, unfortunately faced with an outdated and overwhelming information system, but let me go to George Rutherford. Uh, and Dr. Rutherford, uh, California is an epicenter now, especially in the south. Uh, the morgues are full, the uh, hospitals are full, oxygen is in short supply down there. I mean, it's, uh, it's a pretty grave situation in many ways, but there are hopeful things and hopeful signs. For example, I want to get the, the, the picture from you as best I can, because some parts of Northern California here 
have slower rates of infection. It's purple now in Sacramento and surrounding counties, and you know they're going to do outdoor dining and they're going to have hair salons opening and all the rest of that, hotels and so forth. Um, so it's a mixed picture. Again, the size of the state and the scale of the state is really what's at the heart of this. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I completely agree with everything Aaron says. It's California is a country unto itself, and you know what goes on in Lassen and Mo. Modoc counties is completely different than what goes on in Orange and San Diego counties, um, and you need different different approaches in every uh, every place, and you need to have multiple approaches, which is I think kind of where we're coming down to have uh, uh, to to use the existing healthcare systems that have people to whom to which people have already pl- paid premiums, uh, and uh, at least oh I don't know eight or so of them have their own vaccine supplies directly coming to them. Uh, these are the, you know, Sutter Healths and Scripps and, you know, those kinds of things of the world, the UC um, Kaiser and Kaiser. So that's, you know, that's one whole thing is that they're going to get their own vaccine supplies and will start taking care of their own patients, probably not at the rate that's going to make anybody happy. And uh, the counties are going to have to pick up the, uh, uh, pick up the, uh, pick up the slack uh, and to take, get people not only who don't have any healthcare coverage, plus people who are undocumented and um, various and uh, various groups that, uh, for whatever reason, don't have access, but they're going to have to take the take the spillover from the private entities or the or the large health plans that aren't uh, able to meet the capacity. And it's a function of supply and demand. Unless there's a lot of vaccine, it's going to be tough to do it. Um, I like that, you know, I'm, I'm in favor of, of having uh, doctor's offices being able to vaccinate people, but the logistics are tough, you know, given the, given the ultra cold, cold storage requirements of these vaccines, um, they're going to have to get almost daily distributions in order to be able to do it. And it may, that may not be the most, um, most efficient use. I, I, I like the idea. Still, also. Excuse me. I was going to yeah. say millions are still sitting in freezers, I believe, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a good place for them because they're not going to go bad there until they get this figured out. But you I mentioned like the, the counties. I mean, you got fifty-eight counties with all different plans. I mean, that's part of the yeah. the, the real core of the problem. And you don't have any effective uh, federal vaccination model for the states. That's your latter statement. Is both of your statements are absolutely true? There are fifty-eight counties plus three city health departments in California, and. You know, California has a decentralized public health system, and this is, you know, and when it's time to get it all pulled together, there's a lot of, uh, there's some entropy in the system. There's no two ways about that. The other thing I was going to say is I like these ideas of these mass, um, these mass vaccination uh, centers. Um, there are some big lines at Disneyland yesterday, but that's nothing new at Disneyland. Um, and they're working through it at Dodger Stadium, and I'd like to see us start to set those up here in Northern California as well. Well, we're going to be talking with Supervisor Ronan later in this hour, and we'll ask her about the possibility of a major site like that in San Francisco. But I have to ask you, Dr. Rutherford, about the fact that uh, uh, Southern California is such a different story in many ways. Uh, you've got one out of three now infectious cases of citizens in Southern California, in the L.A. region specifically, and uh, they're being hit so hard. You've kind of come out and said maybe uh, the doses should be more directed toward the southern part of the state? Or what's your position? In, 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 in regular public health practice, you would make an effort to stop transmission by directing uh, these kinds of interventions at the, place, at the places where most of the transmission was going on. Um, this is what we did with smallpox. This is what we do with other outbreaks of, of, of disease. Now, I think it's 
uh, they're getting obviously getting their own allocations of vaccine um, in Southern California, and they're getting lots of vaccine relative to the rest of the state. But I mean, I think there's a legitimate question of, you know, should we be uh, targeting? You know, we have we have basically have three pillars here. We have protect infrastructure, schools, food, you know, food and agriculture, healthcare, right? Protect, that's one pillar. Second pillar, protect the vulnerable, which people over 65, nursing homes, uh, pre-existing conditions, those things. And then the third one, which we really haven't talked about very much, is to try and stop transmission. And should we be preferentially vaccinating in places where there's a lot of ongoing transmission? And I know the city's looking at, at sites, San Francisco's looking at sites um, in the southeast part of the city, specifically because that's where most of the, uh, you know, a disproportionate amount of transmission is going on. And I think that's absolutely proper. Now, what the ratio is among those three is, that's another question. That's a, that's a more complex kind of ethical, political question. We're in a race against time, though. I mean, the transmission, in fact, I'd just like you to comment on this. We're coming up on a break, but uh, we've got these variants now. We've got a British strain. We've got a South African strain. Uh, and transmission is moving much more rapidly with these surges. It is. And, it, and you know, Los Angeles and the, and the counties around Los Angeles are bearing the brunt of it. That's for sure. Um, and so, I, as I said, I think that there's something to be said for trying to disproportionately Fortunately, target uh, vaccine efforts to the places where there's the most transmission and Los Angeles has the most transmission. You can also do that at, at the micro level, Canal District of Marin, of, of San Rafael, the uh, uh, Fruitvale part of District in Oakland, um, Hayward. There are other pockets of East San Jose. There are other pockets of um, rapid transmission in, or disproportionate transmission in the Bay Area that I think that county's health department should be looking at very specifically as places to make concerted efforts to get as many people vaccinated as possible, as quickly as possible. And once again, we're talking about the problems with vaccinations. In fact, somebody, uh, some wag called this uh, a vaccination chaos in California. You might have questions, uh, and if you do, about getting a vaccination, and have you gotten one, and what was the process like? You can give us a call now. 866-733-6786 is the number for your calls. 866 866- 733-6786 or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email us forum at kqed.org. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. This is Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. If you have questions about getting a vaccination or if you've gotten one and want to talk about it and let us know what the process was like, we do want to hear from you. You can give us a call now at our toll-free number. The number to call, again, is 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email any questions or comments you might have to forum at kqed.org. Dr. George Rutherford with us, epidemiologist at UCSF, and Aaron Alday, who is with the San Francisco Chronicle and has been covering uh, the pandemic. Uh, in fact, I was going to ask you, Aaron, just uh, 
to talk about some changes. We've got 36,000 dentists now that are allowed to administer the vaccine, and we've got some new travel plans. So uh, a couple of serious new wrinkles here. What kind of an impact do you think these kinds of things are going to have? Um, I mean, you know, that's sort of been one of the the markers of this pandemic is just how how dynamic, how um, how much uncertainty is sort of built into it. It feels like, you know, as somebody who's covered this for for a year now, it's it feels like every time we think we're we're making some progress or that we can not even necessarily making progress, but that we can see out a few weeks, like what's you know where what direction we're headed. There's some new you know, kink kind of thrown in, in the mix there. Um, so you like brought up that variant um, earlier. Um, that's that's one huge issue, right? Like that could really upset a lot of our vaccination efforts if we get not necessarily this UK variant in here, but but certainly some other variant that that manages to to evade our our vaccine. So, you know, that's that's one thing that we need to be on the lookout for that maybe most of us, I'm sure that, you know, the the scientists, the folks like Dr. Rutherford had been thinking about this, but most people in the public hadn't really thought about that as, as being something to worry about. Um, and, you know, like you said, I mean, this this surge is ongoing. It's um, we've been in this this enormous wave of cases in California since you know, basically November, um, and it keeps kind of being pushed further and further out. So, you know, now we're looking at the Bay Area, you know, is certainly going to be under its stay-at-home orders for the end of this month, probably into early February. Um, it's hard to say when, we out, when we'll be out from under that. But there's just, you know, there's there's just a lot that gets kind of tossed in our paths constantly. Um, and, you know, I think it's, it's exhausting for all of us. <laughs> Well, I wanted to uh, bring up a couple of points. Uh, Oregon Governor Kate Brown is sharing on Twitter today that the states will not be receiving increased shipments of vaccines next week because there is no Federal Reserve of doses. And the Washington Post said today, I'm quoting here, when Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar announced this week that the federal government would begin releasing coronavirus vaccine doses held in reserve for second shots, no such reserve existed. And so... Let me bring uh, Hillary Ronan into the discussion here. Hillary Ronan is, of course, supervisor of the city and county of San Francisco, District 9, which includes the Mission, Bernal Heights, and Portola. And welcome, Supervisor Ronan. Good to have you with us. Thank you. Great to be here. I guess place I, I'd like to begin with you, since you represent the Mission, is uh, what about prioritizing that community, um, and, and particularly maybe even prioritizing those who are especially susceptible because of uh, the dangers of the work they do or the income they have. Yes, I mean, I, you know, I, I think California has tried to prioritize based on um, a system of, of, you know, most danger and, and, and greatest need and equity concerns. Uh, but, but what's ending up happening is the, the rollout of the vaccine is so confusing and is so, uh, I, I would say, bungled that um, you know at this point uh, it would just be good to have some clear instructions about who's eligible for the vaccine and exactly how to get it, uh, which is anything but clear at the moment. Yeah, I think you put it uh, quite succinctly: limited data and limited answers. Yes, I mean, I, I, I'm not sure how much you've talked about this yet on this program because I just joined, but uh, the way that the feds are distributing the vaccine to the states 
is they they give the vaccine directly to the VA and to CVS and Walgreens to vaccinate those in long-term care homes and then give the rest to the states to distribute uh, to all of the private uh, hospital and healthcare providers um, and then give some to DPH. So the Department of Public Health uh, that, that's responsible in San Francisco for our, our public health. We don't even know in San Francisco how much vaccine Kaiser and UCSF and Dignity Health and Sutter have, how much they've distributed um, and what their uh, exact distribution plan is. So as a policymaker here, I don't even know how to evaluate if we're, if we're doing thing, you know, distributing this vaccine in the best way possible, because we're absolutely in the dark in terms of even how much vaccine we have right now in the city. Now, that's scary uh, and, and certainly uh, is a cause for concern. Uh, I'm also uh, looking at a question from a listener, Sarah Beth, who wants to know, does San Francisco have any plans to open vaccination hubs in the low income, high COVID impact neighborhoods, such as the Mission, Bayview, Hunters Point and Soma? Yes. So what uh, our Department of Public Health and Office of Emergency Management tells us is, yes, they have plans in the work, but that we don't, DPH does not have enough vaccine yet to open those hubs. So if we open them today, for example, there's no vaccine to distribute. Um, And that, again, goes to this point that we don't know how much vaccine is this in in the city all we know is how much vaccine dph has and dph doesn't have enough to move from the tier we're currently in which is all healthcare providers let me actually bring a caller on here um i want to go to you george and uh appreciate the fact that you've been waiting here to, uh, excuse me natalie is actually the caller we're going to go to first natalie join us please Hi, good morning. Um, I just wanted to comment on the discussion that was um, begun a couple of minutes ago about whether um, additional doses of vaccine should be disproportionately sent to those regions where there happens to be more transmission. And to me, the idea that those areas would be given preference over people who can't avoid social distancing. So people who work in hospitals, like my husband, or people who work in grocery stores or elementary school teachers, folks who literally cannot social distance, the fact that they might have to wait just because other people who can social distance but choose not to, um, you know, have a higher rate of transmission is really abhorrent to me. Um, and so I think the focus with the first tier on you know, on medical workers um, and then the second tier, you know, hopefully on other essential workers seems to make the most sense to me and is indeed the most equitable if we're talking about equity, because those are folks who literally cannot avoid other people. They, they cannot social distance. Um, whereas other people who just choose not to social distance, whether that's on a Southern California beach or, you know, um, with your neighbor that you're throwing a barbecue with, um, those are folks who, you know, quite frankly, aren't doing their part. And um, perhaps they get sick and they could it could have been avoided. But other folks who can't avoid contact with others um, should be first. Yeah, Natalie, uh, thank you for that. Uh, let me go back to you, Dr. Rutherford, uh, to get a response to what Natalie's uh, put forward here. But I also wanted to hear from you, if I could, about concerns about not being enough, uh, not, there not being enough vaccine, uh, excuse me, vaccines. Uh, we're hearing there's no more coming from the federal government right now. Yeah, well, let me let me start with uh, Natalie's very good point. Um, Natalie, I think that uh, like many of us in Northern California, we have a 
sort of a view of Southern California is everybody's at the beach with no mask on doing whatever they want to do. These are, these are large, the populations in Los Angeles and Riverside and San Bernardino that are being affected are low income, essential worker, uh, Latino households that are dense, very densely housed. And everybody has to go out of the house for work. When you walk out of the door in East Los Angeles, you have a much higher chance of coming into a, coming into contact with the virus than if you walk out of the door in, in most of the Bay Area. So that's the, that's what's driving that uh, that idea. Again, the state hasn't adopted it, and it's not even really being discussed. But it's something that I think that at the county level, having some uh, some vision of where there's the most transmission, which is always where there's the most essential workers, frankly, um, is I, I think is a, a good thing and it's a prudent use of resources and a, and a way to target this in a way that achieves disease control as rapidly as we can, which is at the end of the day what our what our goal is. Uh, uh, Michael, I can't comment on how much of the vaccines uh, available. I know the manufacturers have a lot of capacity. They also have the capacity to increase production um, and I, um, I frankly was surprised about this federal stockpile as well because I didn't know that existed either. Uh, so I, I think there's a lot of uh, more, there's a lot more clarity that needs to be had on that point. Yeah, indeed. And uh, we should mention here that uh, President-elect Biden has already put forward a, a plan, a $1.9 trillion plan. It's for economics as well as COVID. And there are supposed to be 100 million shots. Uh, I hope we can meet that goal. I'm also uh, wondering, Hillary Ronan, Supervisor Ronan, if I go back to you, there are several sites, uh, we spoke about this a little bit earlier, that have been identified for mass distribution. You've got Levi Stadium, the Oakland Coliseum, and down in the south, uh, Disneyland, of course, and uh, the Dodger Stadium. Uh, nothing identified yet in San Francisco. Uh, Mayor Breed said maybe it's not necessary. Uh, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I, ideally, we would have a centralized distribution where everyone who is eligible for the vaccine would have the same opportunity and clear information about how to get an appointment and get vaccinated. And that is not happening in San Francisco. Um, yesterday, you know, when we found out that uh, the governor opened up uh, eligibility for the vaccine to anyone 65 and older. Um, of course, I, you know, my mom is in LA. I immediately called my mom and said, call Kaiser and try to get an appointment for, for, for you and dad. And, uh, you know, she waited um, on the phone forever and, 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 and couldn't get in. Jim, it's a four hour wait for Kaiser now. That's, it, that's exactly. Yeah. And I immediately posted online, um, you know, just so that everyone had some information. If you're a Kaiser patient, here's the number to call. Uh, I did, for, I have a lot of uh, senior volunteers that um, have worked with me for a really long time. They, they waited that four hour and got an appointment here in San Francisco. And so I wanted everyone to have that information. Um, then, of course, what do you do if you're not a Kaiser patient? Uh, I had uh, um, volunteers and, 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 and constituents who called Sutter, who called UCSF, who called Blue Shield, and there was just no clear information. Um, some didn't even know that the eligibility had uh, been opened to, to seniors. Uh, UCSF was saying they're only considering those 75 and, and older. So again, you have to be 
you know, a master investigative researcher to, to even find the right number to call. I, that My office is in the process of trying to collect that for every different healthcare provider to provide some clear information to our constituents. This is a failure. Uh, you know, it, it, it shouldn't be that depending on who your healthcare provider is, you have a better or worse chance of, of, of getting this vaccine. Everyone should be on an equal playing field when their tier is made eligible and, and we're failing. So, uh, yes, I think there should be, a, 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 you know, one, one or, or several sites um, in San Francisco, where no matter who your healthcare provider is, you, if, if you're eligible for that vaccine, there's a clear place to make an appointment, and then you can go uh, to the same place that everyone else can go to. But we're not even close to that here in, in, in San Francisco, and, and, and it's unfortunate. It's disappointing. Well, Supervisor Ronan, appreciate very much your being with us here this morning on Forum, and thank you. Thank you for your work. Thank you so much. It's Hillary Ronan, San Francisco Supervisor for District 9, which includes the Mission, Bernal Heights, and Portola. And let's bring Jerry on from Redwood City. Jerry, join us, please. Hi. Hi. I, I have one question and a couple comments. One is, could this vaccine rollout have been any worsely organized or planned in any state? Um, it doesn't seem like this is rocket science. It's a giant Excel spreadsheet with a bunch of healthcare providers on it, and you check them off when you give them the vaccine. Same with people that live in nursing homes. You have a bunch of nursing homes, you check them off when you've done it. Could this have been any worse organized? This is not a surprise. Vaccines were coming. Why didn't we have a project of people working on this within the public health department? Seems like a massive failure to me. Well, they do have a spreadsheet. Aaron Alde, I'm going to go to you on this. They have a spreadsheet in Alameda, I know, don't they? Oh, I'm sure most of these places have a spreadsheet. I mean, spreadsheet, and I'm sure that they are keeping track, but honestly, I'd rather they have something more advanced than a spreadsheet. Um, yeah. I think one of the big failures is that we don't have a great kind of general centralized system um, for monitoring this. You know, the state has one in place, but it's been really glitchy. Um, this has been a problem kind of throughout this pandemic, all of sort of the state infrastructure to keep tabs on you know, how many cases, how many deaths, things like that. And now we're seeing the same thing play out with, with vaccinations. And, you know, that's another very legitimate complaint, like why, you know, we were this super technology, technological state, you know, the home of Silicon Valley, and yet we do not have a great sort of just basic tracking system for keeping tabs on people. So, yeah, I mean, we shouldn't have our counties working out of spreadsheets. Excuse me, wasn't there a software problem uh, with CalVax website? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, there was a software problem, but also there was a, a, a problem where somebody somebody or multiple somebody's got access to kind of a link that they that they shared around. They started texting around to people um, and, and helping them kind of getting people to skip the line that created a whole other headache. Um, I think that they're they're probably trying to seal that seal up that problem. But yeah, I mean, we've seen lots of glitchy things like that, again, not just in this immunization process, but throughout the uh, the pandemic. There were memes about, uh, I'll call them rumors, I guess, about uh, vac centers with extra doses and people were showing up who didn't qualify. And uh, it was a mess. Uh, it was chaos, as I indicated earlier. Uh, let me uh, go back to you, Dr. Rutherford. Uh, a question that's been kind of hovering around in my mind I wanted to know your response to is, once people are vaccinated and they wait a number of weeks after the second shot, uh, should they actually be tested for antibodies to make sure that uh, they aren't in that 5% or so that may not respond uh, as expected? You, I mean, should everybody be tested for antibodies? No, I don't think so. I, it's, there's no recommendation for that. And um, it's, it's going to be fairly random uh, who doesn't um, develop immunity, who's going to be in that 5%. And that 5% is from trials. 
you know, we're out in a situation where people are getting continuously boosted naturally because they're seeing the vaccine. They're seeing, you know, infection and the naturally occurring infection, which boosts the immune system. So it actually may be a little higher. Um, so, uh, no, I would be, I'd be hesitant to do that unless there were something, unless somebody were immunocompromised or had some odd um, uh, immun, uh, immunosuppressive disease or something. I was just but, prompted to no, ask I, because I of this congressman who was who had a couple of shots and tested positive recently. It's gotten a lot of press, but uh, I'm also going to ask yeah. you, uh, this is a, a listener named Richard who wants to know, how many flu vaccines are distributed on a yearly basis? Can't we use the same distribution channels? If we don't hurry up, herd immunity will be attained through infection rather than vaccination. Dr. I think we give... Uh, um, I'm trying to, I, I don't have the number off the top of my head, but we typically uh, vaccinate less than 50% of the, uh, of the uh, eligible population for influenza every year. So <clears throat> the problem is with these vaccines is this ultra cold storage requirement. And as the earlier caller said, why can't we just send it around like we do flu vaccines? It's because we don't have the capacity to store it in these offices and it would be wasted. Um, because you could, you know, you'd send them a supply, and they they need to use it in 24 to 48 hours, and if it's not used, you can't send it back and and uh, refreeze it. So that's the problem, and that's what makes this more more, more complicated. And you know, if there is there a way to do it worse? Yeah, look at Florida, uh, where they had you know long lines of people, 20 hour lines of people in in lawn chairs uh, waiting for the you know waiting to get vaccinated, and God knows how much transmission occurred in those lines. Here's a listener, Karen, who writes on the phone last night with Kaiser, with my husband, to schedule our vaccines. We were on hold for four hours and 26 minutes when we finally got scheduled for vaccinations in two-plus weeks. Uh, a lot of your comments, a lot of questions coming in. We'll try to get to as many of you as we can. Again, we're talking with Dr. George Rutherford, epidemiologist from UCSF, and Aaron Alday of the San Francisco Chronicle. And... Uh, we're going to go to a quick break, and when we return, as I said, we'll hear from more of you. Again, if you have questions uh, or comments, please feel free to be part of the program. You can join us on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email forum at kqed.org. I'm Michael Krasny. We've all got those parts of our house where the Internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. This is Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. We're talking about the vaccine rollout. We're getting the latest on the pandemic here in the Bay Area with Aaron Alday of the San Francisco Chronicle and Dr. George Rutherford, who is an epidemiologist with University of California, San Francisco. And here's Monica from San Jose. Monica, join us, please. Uh, Hi. Um, Quick question. We know there is no data that indicates the vaccine will prevent transmission. And... um, well, uh, of course, if that's the case, that's not the case uh, with preventing transmission. So the herd immunity is not going to work. Um, could you please comment on this? Comment from you, Dr. Rutherford. Sure. Um, the fact that there's no data, that data were not collected about it doesn't mean that it doesn't happen. Uh, and we're busily trying to shore up that hole in the uh, in the data. Um, the more people who are naturally immune, the less transmission there's going to uh, there's going to be. 
uh, just naturally. It's, it's, there's a, been a very interesting uh, uh, article from uh, Emory uh, that just come out that would suggest that over several decades that this virus would become more like the, um, would become a, uh, an infection predominantly of children under five uh, and with very few, few of any symptoms and that the population would maintain, um, it would maintain immunity to it um, just by kind of repeated uh, exposures during, uh, during childhood. And that by the time they get to adulthood, they, they would have, you know, subs- durable, um, uh, durable, naturally acquired immunity. For the time being, however, we have to bring it under control with vaccine. Since you mentioned children, Dr. Rutherford, I wanted to find out what your thoughts are about, I, I think you're in favor of opening schools again in the spring, aren't you? I am. I am. Uh, you know, I'm a, a pediatrician, Michael, so I have to kind of, I, I see this from both sides, believe me. Um, I, I, I think that, yeah, I, I think that we can, um, we're now seeing the first uh, experiences from some Scandinavian countries and from, uh, and from England uh, and their experiences with reopening schools is, are that there's been very little uh, transmission uh, that's gone on in schools. It's not to say it's non-existent, uh, but there's very little transmission that goes on in schools. And, and what you see in schools in terms of cases um, in children is what you see in the community. Kids get uh, get infected at home um, and then they bring it to school. And that's where people, you know, that's basically where children are getting infected. It's not in schools. It's not from the teachers. It's not from other kids. It's at home. And what about uh, just a quick question along the lines again of children? I mean, if, if parents are vaccinated and they want to travel with their children, is that safe given that a small percentage of uh, uh, children get very sick from COVID? I think it is. Yeah, I, I think as long as, again, children get it from their parents. And if the parents aren't going to get it <clears throat> because they've been vaccinated, then the kids aren't going to get it. So I, I think it is safe. And let me go to another caller. Joe joins us next. Joe, thank you for waiting. You're on. Hi, good morning. Um, I'm an emergency physician practicing in and around San Francisco, so I'm one of the lucky few to have received their first and second doses of the Pfizer vaccine. Of course, that does little to lessen my concern for my patients and my family. So my question is, what centralized uh, solutions are available to solve these problems of production, distribution, and administration within a decentralized system of care. For example, could the governor activate the National Guard to help distribute and administer vaccines, assuming that they're available to, to be administered? We've got a lot of the National Guard who are protecting the Capitol now, but Aaron Alday, I don't know if you want to weigh in here. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's been definite conversation about that. I know that folks um, on the county level um, expect that at some point, especially with the new administration, that we might start seeing you know, federal, more kind of federal intervention, more maybe some federal vaccination sites. Um, there's there's kind of more talk about that happening in places like in the, the middle of the country, um, places that might have kind of less um, access to care, kind of more of those um, those those provider deserts where there, it's, it's harder to reach people. But I think what I think we will see um, kind of more of a centralized structure as time goes on, more of these kind of mass vaccination sites like we're seeing opening up in in Southern California um, I think we're just not going to have any choice. I mean, we're just so fractured. It's clearly not doing doing well playing out so far. We're not going to really have any option but to to centralize it um, and to kind of get you know kind of force some order on this on this structure. That's that's kind of my take. I mean, Dr. Rutherford might have um, have have more to say on that. 
You have more to say, George it's Rutherford? A, yeah. Of course. I always have more to say, yeah. <laughs> um, there's a um, the, the thing to remember. So the National Guard has been activated, and they're, provo- they're uh, uh, involved in direct patient care at both Harbor General and uh, L.A. County USC uh, hospitals. Um, and so the problem with the National Guard is that those people have day jobs. And so when we need ICU attendings who are in the National Guard, that means they're not going to be an ICU attending at whatever, wherever they work on a daily basis anyway. So that's, there's a kind of a, you know, a sort of a balancing act. Um, and Aaron's right, the more we could federalize this and bring in actual federal assets that aren't part of the existing healthcare, the, you know, civilian healthcare delivery system, that's great. Um, I think we're going to use mostly the National Guard for, uh, for surge care. Now, as we get past it, yes, we can use them as vaccinators, but I think right now we're going to be looking to sort of all hands on deck, anybody who's, uh, uh, who can give a vaccine to get out and, and be a vaccinator. I know I'm going to have, I'm going to, I'm going to be in that boat and going to be out trying to help as I can. Let me read some comments that are coming in. Wendy writes, I messaged my primary care physician who told me to call Walgreens. I call Walgreens. They told me to go to the Department of Health site. I go there, but I can't find any link that directs me to sign up for a vaccine. I'm a senior who is somewhat web savvy. I can only imagine those older than I am who aren't and those who have no adult children to help. I want this vaccine and will take it anytime, day or night. This is a total mess in San Francisco. And a listener writes, please don't forget the prisons. They're not only a place of racial and economic injustice, but now they are a place of transmission and no one mentions them in their list of immediate need for vaccination. Uh, And here's um, Sasha who says, with inventory piling up and the bottleneck being being injections, I think it's time to simplify the process. We should let any clinic anywhere vaccinate anyone. It's less ethical to let the liquid sit and freezers than to misprioritize and over-distribute. And Ellie says, I'm uh, appealing to our tech giants to stand up and offer their maverick technical skills to create a nationwide uh, voluntary data site where individuals read vaccine distribution updates and can sign up for the vaccine. And here's Mary who says, as a healthcare provider in the Fruitvale area of Oakland, which has been disproportionately affected by COVID-19, we are encountering a bit of vaccine apprehension among our patient population. Can you talk about the efforts that need to be considered and addressed as vaccines become more available? Let me go to you on this, Erin. So, yeah, when we talk about kind of this, this issue of vaccine hesitancy, I mean, obviously it's, it's an interesting dilemma because we're talking about, you know, all these, these folks who are just clamoring for vaccine and are, and are willing to get on, on, wait on the phone for four hours. But the truth is the vaccine hesitancy is still a real issue. And we're not talking about the sort of, you know, what we usually think about with, with our, our kind of anti-vaxxer kind of communities. We're talking about, you know, legitimate, you know, people that, that have apprehension that are, that maybe, you know, just, just worry about kind of, you know, a new drug, a new, a new kind of science, and they need to be reassured. And we need to really kind of go out to these communities and have conversations with them and, and help them understand that this is, that this is safe. And this is, you know, something that they want to do for themselves, for their families and for their community. And forgive um, me, Aaron, there are also people who are going uh, because of uh, the mess ups, uh, going to get a vaccine that they can't get. And it makes them even more, I suppose, inhibited in many cases or more anxious about going back. Well, for sure. That's a big part of, I mean, that's definitely something that, that public health folks are really worried about is that when you launch this, this campaign and it's so, 
it's so fumbled, right? Like we're getting so much misinformation. There's this lack of transparency. We don't even know where the doses are. Like there's just so much confusion that doesn't help reassure people who are already like, do I even want to do this? Right. So we definitely want this to be a much more kind of seamless infrastructure, if only just to be reassuring, just to let people understand we know what we're doing. Trust us, you know, come in here and and we'll take care of you. And I mean, I you know, that's all that's all true. I mean, these are great vaccines. They have a great safety profile um, and people absolutely should, you know, be getting vaccinated. But we have a lot of work to do, I think, to get that message across to especially to the communities that, frankly, are, are most vulnerable and most in need of, of getting the vaccines. Which brings up another question I'm going to ask you about, Aaron, all day. Uh, and uh, I wonder if you could help out Jennifer, who writes me and a number of my friends would like to know, if there will be opportunities to volunteer to help with vaccination distribution, not giving the shots as we are not medically trained, but assuming there's just a way to help with the logistics of crowd control, paperwork or whatever. I'm going to guess that as we, especially as we get these mass vaccination sites set up, that yes, there will be opportunities for, for volunteers. So, um, you know, we're just, we just don't have the supply yet, especially in the Bay area and Northern California to set those things up. But, um, but I think that those opportunities are definitely going to come up. So, you know, I would just tell folks to, to keep alert, keep your eyes on those things. And kudos to Jennifer and those who really want to help. Uh, let me bring Fred in from Alameda next. Fred, thanks for waiting. Join us, please. Um, hi. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Uh, and Michael, I remember when you went off to write your book and we missed you and we'll miss you when you retire. Thank um, you. I'm, I'm in the, uh, the over 75 um, group, priority group. At least I was as of yesterday, and I've been waiting guidance on how to get the vaccine. And then yesterday, the governor opened it up to over 65, so all of a sudden, um, I'm no longer lumped in with the over 75s. I'm lumped in with the under 65s. And when I got the notice that I was to contact my provider, I tried to contact the provider. And, of course, like everybody else, I was put on a four- to five-hour hold. So it's a... um, I'm not sure what the governor was thinking, but opening up the priority group before finishing the last priority group. Yeah, what about, uh, George Rutherford, this point about those over 75 now struggling to get access to the vaccine? Yeah, yeah it's a real problem, isn't it? It's, uh, this is what happens when you, there's a lot of pressure to get used the vaccine. So they try and use the vaccine and they create more, you know, and then they create more problems. Um, it's unfortunate, I know, at least San Francisco's talking about f- finishing with the over 75s first and before moving to the 65 to 74 year olds. But I'm not clear what's happening in Alameda County. I'm sorry, Fred. I will say that um, pretty much every county that I've talked to has only opened it up to 75. Um, and most of the big providers have said the same thing, that they are they are choosing to drop it down only to, to the 75 um, and up age group. And they say that they, just what, what Dr. Rutherford was saying, that they're, they just don't have enough supply yet to drop it down to 65. I think the thinking is that in the, the outlying areas where they do have, for whatever reason, plenty of doses, they... The, the, the governor wants to give them the option to then move down to the the, the younger, the, the the 65 and up. But pretty much nobody I'm talking to is at that point yet. So he should be able to to be prioritized being 75 or, or over than over 75. Let me thank you and wish you good luck, Fred. Uh, here's Liz who writes, as I see more and more of my family in the UK receiving the vaccine with efficient provider to patient communication from the NHS, I'm struck by how starkly this demonstrates the disastrous healthcare system in the US. 
The lack of a centralized system, as in the UK, is a huge problem. A question for you, uh, George Rutherford, uh, a tweet from a listener says, is it known if Pfizer is doing stability studies on warmer storage temperatures or longer stability, making it easier to distribute and prepare doses? Uh, I don't know that. Uh, I I think that's something they may want to look at. You know, there was some question about did this need to be minus 90 degrees and and they moved it down to minus 70. So I think they're trying to figure out the sweet spot of where they, how, how cold they could store this. And, you know, the next one's coming in, the uh, Novavax and the AstraZeneca vaccines have very, very forgiving uh, storage uh, temperature um, kind of parameters uh, around them. If I may comment on the, the, the post about the NHS, the, I'm sorry, the British National uh, Health Service, that, that's a, a great observation. I think one thing that we haven't talked about is one of the issues that the healthcare system in California has is that all the all the excess capacity has been squeezed out of it uh, through you know because we've been so successful in in, in creating efficiencies in healthcare uh, through managed care and HMOs we just don't have lots of extra people around to 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 uh, staff these kinds of things and it's one of the things that John Schwartzberg at Berkeley has talked about is that the efficiency of our system is now coming back to bite us. As you mentioned, I think uh, Aaron all day back to Fred's call in Contra Costa and in uh, Santa Clara, 75 or older has been given a certain priority, hasn't it? Yeah, that's correct. That's what I, the, the counties are saying, that they don't have the capacity, the, the doses to get down to 65. So they're opening to 75 and up. Yeah. And here's Bill joining us from Sacramento. Bill, welcome. You're on the air. Yes, uh, I got my first uh, COVID shot yesterday. Uh, I'm 81. Uh, Dignity Health is my care provider. I communicated with them uh, through email, which has, they have a patient portal. And it, uh, I had a 5.30 appointment. I got there a few minutes early. Uh, I was out at uh, 10 minutes to 6. Shot done. The wait uh, you know, after the shot was completed, and it was very efficient. It was their first day, too. And so they were going through the throes of uh, initiating the process for the public, but it was done incredibly well. That's good to hear. Thank you. And uh, congratulations. I'm going to read some more comments that are coming in. Uh, Kevin tweets. uh, I'll meet you at breakfast. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Thank you for that. Uh, Kevin tweets, just put me on a list and call me when there's a vaccine. The library does this for placing a book on hold. Don't make me wait Two and a half hours on hold with Kaiser for my elderly mother-in-law. Actually, two and a half hours for Kaiser is pretty good. They're mostly four hours. Um, and uh, a tweet from Meg who wants us to know that there's a large contingency of anti-vaxxers and people hesitant to take the vaccine. In Southern California, the LA Times reported recently that up to 50% of frontline workers in Riverside County declined the vaccine. Uh, here's Richard who says, won't it, and we'll go to you on this, Dr. Rutherford, won't it be difficult for the elderly and people with disabilities to go to a vaccination site and wait for hours? Any thought of home delivery to targeted populations? Yeah, there, there may well be. It's, um, I, I don't think anyone has, has a vision of someone who's housebound being, you know, going to the Disneyland parking lot for five hours. I, I think that there'll be ways to work this out much more efficiently. I mean, we are giving it directly to people in all sorts of, of skilled nursing and, and longer-term care facilities. Um, that's, on, that's on the pharmacies uh, to do that but uh, but it also is for uh, also home health is on the uh, is on the list so I, I think that will that that could potentially be expanded but it's going to be probably come down to the counties to have to do that
unfortunately. And a quick question uh, for you, Dr. Rutherford, from John, who wants to know, once my wife and I are vaccinated, can we get together with family and friends who have also been vaccinated with or without masks, indoor or outdoors, or distanced outdoors? Um, yes. Yes, you can. <laughs> I, I, uh, I would be very, you know, well, until we get a lot of people vaccinated, I would be very hesitant, even if I were vaccinated, to go out into public without a mask. Being with other people who've been vaccinated already, I think, is a minimal risk. Um, it would be almost, it'd be, it would be very small. It's like 0.05 times whatever to the power of how many people are there. So I wouldn't be worried too much about, about those situations. But, you know, going on an airplane, going out into public, going shopping, you know, in June or July, I'd still wear a mask. Uh, you have to assume that people around you are infectious. And you have to assume that you may be one of the five percent that's missed the um, that's missed the boat on immunity. Well, we had. Um, so uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I, I was think just say we've had some really good information this hour, and I want to extend thanks uh, for the enlightenment that you've brought, Dr. George Rutherford, again as epidemiologist with UCSF, and thank you so much for being with us this hour. You're welcome. And thank you, Aaron Alday. Aaron Alday is with the San Francisco Chronicle. Follow her, and she has definitely uh, been on top of this from the get-go. Aaron, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And thank you, our listeners. We're here with you Monday through Friday, 9 to 11, an hour repeated, 10 to 11 in the evening. You can always let us know what you think about what you hear on Forum or would like to hear by emailing us, forum at kqed.org. And Forum is produced by Judy Campbell, Tina Larberg, Ariana Prale, Blanca Torres, Susan Britton, Raquel Maria Dillon, and Caroline Smith, and Grace Wan. Senior editor is Dan Zoll. Our engineers are Danny Bringer, Katie McBurn, and Brendan Willard. Our intern is Leslie Torres. Our executive editor, Ethan o Tovin Lindsay, and our co chief content officer, Holly Kernan. Please stay safe. I'm Michael Krasny. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.